When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast. Very fortunate enough to be joined by a man who is synonymous with Arizona basketball, Molina, Illinois, everything that goes, Pima women's basketball as well, the great Jim Rosborough. Hello, coach. Well, Mike, I don't know about great, but I'm right here. Sorry for all the delay, but good to, good to be with you today. How are you? Uh, I am thrilled, man, but we got to talk about you. First and foremost, what are you been up to? I know what you've been up to, but tell the crowd out there a little bit about what you've been up to. Well, we finished uh, just about a month ago with our season. Um, we did qualify to go to nationals, which is one of the things that you shoot for every year. Uh, so six teams went to Port Huron, Michigan. Um, we were there for, I think, about 10 days. We got in a little bit early, had a couple days to practice, and then played three games in three days. Uh, won our first one in a pretty pretty good win and then uh, lost two in a row, which eliminates you from the tournament. Right. Uh, second game, Mike, we did play the team that won the, the whole thing and had really a pretty good three quarters against them. And then it got away. And the last one, we may have been a little bit tired, but the other team had done it. So uh, we had a good run at the national tournament, which was the goal. Uh, we were the top division two team in our, in our league here, which as you know, is really a powerful league with coaches and some right. of these other, no we play. So the season was over. You take about a week and then we've been back working out the girls. I've been out you know, twice a week working out the girls and uh, working in my backyard, watering my plants and all kinds of other crazy stuff. <laughs> all right. Now, Coach, what's an average day like for Coach Roz? Just, you know, from sun up to sundown, what's Coach Roz doing? Well, you know, I'm, again, I'm, I'm up. It's uh, nice weather now. I've been keeping a diary this year or just notes every day. So I generally work on those and it could be up to a half hour that I write. Just, um, you know, I never know long term, but there is going to be a day when this coaching stops, I think another couple of years, Mike. And then I've got notes all over the place going way back to recruiting Isaiah Thomas and all this kind right. of crazy. Stuff. So uh, take care of that. I do work outside most every day, just getting stuff cleaned up. Um, I've actually gone to a, a guy, an exercise guy that works specifically on golf, because I'm hoping here in another couple of weeks, Mike, to get in a little, uh, little bit of golf. Uh, and then I've been out two days a week uh, with our kids in the afternoon, and we spend hour, hour and a half on shooting drills and other kind of things. And then in the evening, get home and uh, probably shouldn't say it on the air, but have a nice glass of wine. And then we usually watch Netflix or something at night. So it's a pretty, <laughs> pretty simple life right now, Mike. Netflix and chill with some wine. We like that, Coach. Very cool. Yeah. All right, now, I'm uh, going to get a read in here, and we're going to get to a lot of Arizona basketball. A lot of people want some recruiting stories here, just uh, you know about how things have changed a little bit. I got a couple ones that I think you'll remember. Um, but first, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code PHNX. There's a few different offers depending on where you live. For our Arizona audience, you will get up to $100 in bonus 
bets on your first wager with BetMGM. Again, make sure you use bonus code PHNX. Check out the show notes for full details. And now listen to Shane with the disclaimer. Claimer 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369, New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP-ARIZONA, 1-800-522-4700, Kansas, Nevada, 1-800-327-5050, Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF-IOWA, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help, Michigan. All right, coach, like basically I've always felt from about 88 to 03, Arizona basketball by any by any measurement was one of the five best programs in the country. You had you got four final fours. You got a uh, you got a runner up. You got a national title in there. You guys produced an assembly line of pros. I mean, you were Arizona basketball was the preeminent power on the West Coast. Now, again, you had your UCLA's or UNLV's at times, but Arizona was that. When Gonzaga started coming up a little bit, what did you guys think of, think about that? Because obviously you had the Blake Step game where they took us down to the wire right there. But what did you think about Gonzaga as they were coming up? Well, you know, it's funny, Mike, now that you mentioned that, uh, and I don't mean this to uh, demean anybody, but the, the problem is you're in your league and you're worrying about those people. So, right. you know, the game that you're talking about was was a great game. And as you know, we were the ball rolling off the rim to to win it. And then people fell on the floor and couldn't get up. They were so exhausted, the Luke Waltons and the boys. But what did we think about it? Really not that much because we saw them maybe in the tournament. And I don't know if you right. would know if we saw more than that one game in the tournament. Now, certainly we were aware and we may have been recruiting some people that they were, but I, and again, I don't mean to demean anybody, but our problems were UCLA and USC, Oregon, as you Stanford. Good. And Stanford, Stanford with Mike Montgomery was, was a a heck of a program. So the truth be known, uh, I don't know that we really thought about him too much until we got on the scouting for the game that you're talking about. I don't know how much else we played them uh, in that time period that you're talking about, but certainly currently and over the last, what, 10 or 15 years, and actually, actually during the time that Tommy has uh, was up there, they've, they've really been a power on the West Coast too. I think challenging anybody out on the, the West Coast for preeminence, if you, if you were to ask me. What are, your, uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Tommy Lloyd his first couple of years at U of A? I really like him. I, th- I think he's, he's, uh, we may have talked before, Mike, he's been very open uh, with me and um, open to come to the office, come to practice anytime. I, I really like him. He's a smart coach. The one thing he did that was, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, their first meeting last fall, Mike, when all the staff got back together, he had about a four or five page typewritten thing and was going to be their first staff meeting. And he invited me to come and sit in on it. You know, and I'm looking through this thing and I'm saying, holy cow, all this time with with loot. And we we adjusted every year. But I mean, this was right down to every single play during the Pac-12 tournament, during the NCAA tournament, the, you know, the year before. It was really, really a, a masterpiece of looking at things and seeing what they could do better. So what you're asking is, do I like him? I really think he's a smart coach. I really think he's a good coach. And nobody likes to lose like they did to Princeton in, in the first round, and that'll that'll lead at him now. He'll he's he's you know right. keeping great face and everything, but that'll lead at him. And the thing that it'll do it it'll motivate him. Uh, you know, 
what and, and he's again he's sharp and he's going to get in and analyze what in the world happened there and and make some adjustments so if you're asking i think he's really really a good smart coach relates to the guys relates to kids in recruiting so i i think the world of him i think he's a really a good coach okay so the the thing about arizona basketball that i came up watching and that was always unique was the Ability to let players go that you guys had. I mean, you let player, you let your players play. And I always bring up this example because this was back when practice used to be open. And uh, this was uh, during the 93-94 season. And I don't exactly remember all of the details, but you know how it was where you would have loot that would be sitting kind of in the middle, uh, kind of up in the middle bleachers, and then you'd have two coaches doing it. And Khalid Reeves, who's in the middle of I mean, let's be honest here, the best scoring season in U of A history looks over. I think it was to Jesse Evans looks over and the practices stop. And Luke comes down and he says, if I haven't talked to you guys about, you know, what you need to be doing at this point, I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my job, Khalid. And I just think about that when I watch Tommy Lloyd, that to me is Arizona basketball, which you encapsulated right there. And that you let your players play, you got players in there and you allowed them to freedom. And that's why it kind of, it, it reminds me a little bit of what you guys were able to, uh, you know, employ there at the U of A. Yeah, I, I think there's truth in that. It's an up-tempo style. Now, our our thought going way back to the early days at Iowa when we weren't very good, but still, we were an up-tempo team. I've, I've gone back because we were, uh, when we got to Iowa, Mike, we were recruiting in the Chicago area a lot. Yeah. And they- didn't know us. They didn't know Loot at all from from the uh, West Coast. And everybody, well, he's a slowdown guy. And after the first year, he's a slowdown coach. And so, well, we were averaging 82, 85 a game, which was, you know, was kind of mystifying that we were being blamed for that. But the th- here's the proof, Mike, that any of our kids from Arizona, the ones at Iowa, that Ronnie Lester's and the guys that the ones at Arizona here that you're talking about that went into the professional leagues, everybody said they were the most prepared guys that came in. They knew the shell drill. They knew help side defense. They knew every everything that they should know they were familiar with. And I heard that a million times from pro guys. Your guys were, were the best prepared. Andre Iguodala has said that many, many times. Uh, other people didn't come in. So, it, But it was a system that let the kids – I mean, you, you saw them. You saw yeah. Jason. You saw Michael Dickerson, saw these guys use their national natural abilities. There was no stifling in any way of, of using those natural abilities. And you could draw a picture right now on the screen, Mike, and, and draw the lane, the free throw lane area. And that's where our guys spent a lot of time. Uh, and that was that was the goal. So it was the Sean Elliott years and all those people going back to Pete Williams and everybody get in the lane, use your natural uh, abilities, run the floor. If you can't run, come over and take a seat on the bench, Richard Jefferson. So mainly he tried to run, uh, but it, it was a system that employed the things that were good about the kids. And, you know, the, again, the proof is look at the guys, you just said it, a, a number of kids that just kept going into the pros, a whole pile of them. So it was really a good system and it was good for the posts. It was good for the perimeters. It was good for the point guards. It became point guard university. It was, you've, you've said it in those years, it was just really an unbelievable uh, production. I want to get into the scouting a little bit here, because I think in, in, in this day and age, a lot of people get caught up in, Oh, you can only win with, you know, you got to get the best players out there. I want to get, because you guys were the master of getting the, well, we'll get to that here in just a second. But first, let's just say that you want to watch some of this stuff and you don't know where to watch it. 
Fubo TV has got it right here. Sign up through the link in the description for people still looking at uh, uh, cable cut. Uh, you should be able to watch your favorite AZ sports and shows. You can watch the Wildcats on Valley Sports on uh, with Fubo TV. Use the link in the description to sign up for 15% off your first month of Fubo Pro. Uh, no contract, no cable, no hassle. Just sign up and start watching. And tap and bottle. We've had uh, all of our uh, tap and bottle away game watch parties were a lot of fun. Check us out downtown or the Northwest location. We'll be having those again for football and basketball. Going to be a great time. Tap and bottle uh, support local. All right, coach. Everybody thinks when you think of Arizona, the names that come to your mind first many times are your Sean Elliott's, your Mike Bibby's. And, you know, we're going to get into those. But what always amazed me about what you guys were able to do was your Damon Stoudemire's, your Jason Terry's. Your Michael Dickerson's, your Miles Simons. These were important recruits, but these were also more regional recruits. These were guys, especially a guy like a Miles or a, a Reggie Geary. UCLA's kind of slow playing, not really a, you know that big on. How were you able to identify so many players? And again, I can name, I can keep going. That were just Gilbert Arenas is the best example ever. Uh, AJ Bramlett that were just so unique. How were you able to do that? Because you don't see that a ton in college basketball now. Well, I, I've been thinking a lot about that lately because you see in the paper, well, this five-star recruit is going here, this McDonald's All-American. The more I think about that, Mike, some of those terms that are attached to kids are just complete baloney. And you know why? Because it really, again, the proof is when they get on the court at the college they're going to, it doesn't matter. You're McDonald's all Who cares? We, we had very few, if any, uh, McDonald's All-American. So the point was um, – we were out all the time watching kids. Luke was a great evaluator. I think the rest of us were really good evaluators. We saw kids numerous times. All the coaching staff saw them. We knew what we were looking for. Kids that, you know, I mean, you can, you can talk to Gino R.E.M. or any of these really good coaches. And they, they're right. looking for how do you walk off the floor when you're taken out? How do you right. interact with teammates? How do you interact with your coaches? How do you interact if their parents are people are at the games i mean you're watching for every little detail are you unselfish on the floor are you working hard are you sound defensively so really it was finding all those things now some of the guys you're talking about um regionally were pretty well known you know the miles simons uh, luke walton was a pretty pretty darn for sure Big name, Gilbert Arenas, came out of nowhere, and, and that was uh, Rodney Tension did a good job of getting here, and he was kind of a raw talent when he got here. Damon Stoudemire was a, a good player, but again, they got into the system. They were coached. Uh, I, I look back again at, at that time coaching-wise, and you were around a little bit, Mike, when the mm-hmm. practice remained open until right. yeah. Amber shut them down. Right, <laughs> but, yeah, right you were you were taught and there were demands and you had to do x y and z and if you weren't going to do that you weren't you weren't going to play and the one i just mentioned you laughed at but if richard jefferson wasn't running his lane or gilbert arenas wasn't running his lane or jason gardner wasn't getting the outlet pass or mike bibby was you know then we were going to sit him down so they were taught there were demands uh, they, as players, were shown in practices everything they were going to see in games, Mike. So there right. were no prizes. Um, so it was just it, it was really identifying what we would call the type of kid you want here. And, and you know, everybody talks family, family. Well, 
they're, the kids were close. But the deal is get in the guys that are, are good kids and fit into your system and that you need. And we never, we never overstocked. So we weren't sitting here, as you well know, with five point guards. and Right. See, uh, the roster construction was impeccable. Yeah. No, no question about that. Yeah. We always, always looked at that, not to overload, have a, a junior kid starting at the three spot with a freshman ready to go when he left. So yeah, I, that's a good point. Construction of the roster was impeccable. I like that word, Mike. Yeah, for sure. Now, what, what was the philosophy? Because you hear all the time the stories, and I've always wanted to get into this a little bit with you about how going from more of kind of your your Tucson skyline type approach to really getting up and down and, you know, accentuating it with Khalid and Damon and then obviously Reggie there on the wing in the defensive role. Was that a strategy that you guys came up with that, hey, we need to get, you know, start moving a little bit more? Was it just the natural progression of the roster? What was the behind the scenes like with that? Well, when you had Clint and Damon, I mean, as you know, I think they were both uh, maybe both over 22 a game with Clint at 24-something and Damon. I mean, they maybe are one of the best guard duos that's ever played the game yeah. uh, that particular year. And then you added in Reggie for his defensive ability at maybe six three and a half, but he could guard threes, and that put more pressure on opponents because we could get out and run. Damon and Clid were kind of interchangeable. If 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 Clid got the outlet, he could bring it down. And we were smart enough in practice to have them uh, work with one of the other main guys handling the ball on the break. So um, it, it was really just utilizing that talent, getting out. It, it, it's high pressure basketball. My right. duty know that term high pressure defense get after them tough and high pressure offense a lot of people well we're gonna come down and run plays and so on well we we somewhat knew what we were doing right there but it was get the ball down the floor attack never bring it back out call out a number we're gonna run play number two now maybe after a timeout we ran play number two but it was full pressure attack the lane attack the basket basket basketball which I think the kids liked and I think the fans liked it and you're talking about it so you obviously remember it was a great basketball I always have I've felt in Arizona obviously was point guard you and uh you know a lot of people started with Steve Kerr as they should I've always felt, though, that Damon was really the first one. And again, this isn't meant to diminish Steve because he's an All-American and all-time great. I always felt, though, that Damon was the one that really kind of caught the national spotlight and how you guys were playing at that time. And that you were allowing Damon to pull up from the cactus. You were allowing him to use his breakneck speed. It was almost kind of a West Coast Allen Iverson type thing. And then from you, you go from Damon to Reggie to Mike to JT, to Jason Gardner. It was just an assembly line of them. And I've always felt that Damon was just kind of the the first really kind of national uh, point guard there that really made kids want to play point guard. Well, I think you were going to mention Mike Bibby next. Now, he was pretty good. We're going to go to – we're going to – Mike Bibby's my next question – or Mike Bibby's my next uh, uh, point, but yes – Damon was phenomenal. I mean, you, you, again, you were following closely. I think, where was it at Washington state or no, maybe it was at Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. Who's, who's ever heard anything like that? Who would get in the, in with the press here? And I don't know if it was Pasco following or who was following, but Damon guaranteed two wins at Oregon and Oregon state. Now that blew everybody's mind coaching wise. What are you doing? But you know what? He said it. We went up there and won two games, and he was big in both games. I I would probably agree with you. Now, part of it was that Clid Damon duo. Yeah. But 
Damon was the point guard, and and I've I've told men players since then. I've told women players that I have now out at Pima. Get online, Google Damon Stoudemire and watch the kid. You're right. Stop on a dime. All the things that we, he kind of epitomized all the things that we were teaching in terms of the one count stop, pull up at 12. It's not always get to the basket, you know, mid-range game, shoot the threes. I, I probably would agree with you that maybe because we were, now Kerr kind of came on the scene out of nowhere. Right. We were on, we were on the map. And then all of a sudden, here comes Damon at 23-something a game and, and point guard. So I think I'd probably agree with you. But that combo of Khalid and Damon was, was pretty good. All right. Speaking of Khalid, I want to get to Khalid and then I want to get to Bibby here. And I left Bibby out for a reason, which he astutely picked up there, Coach. Um, but first, I'm going to tell you about Circle K. Now, make sure you're not missing out on all the great stuff at Circle K. Head to CircleK.com backslash store locator to find the Circle K near you. I can guarantee that Coach Jim Rosborough has been to a Circle K in his past. Is this correct? Absolutely correct. Yep. Everybody has, and there's a reason that it's been around. Check out Circle K. It is for the people by the people. All right. Recruiting was, like I said, um, now I want to talk about a few of the kind of the national guys. Do you re- what do you remember about getting Khalid? Obviously, out of Christ the King High School, uh, McDonald's kid. Um, first, you, I, immediately you could tell that he was a little bit different. Now, granted, it was kind of the nine points, eleven points, twelve, and then he hits twenty-four. But what do you remember about them? Because that was a really—I mean, he was a national recruit at that stage. Yeah, and uh, Jesse Evans was really kind of the primary assistant that was recruiting, and then. Loot would come in on the home visits and so on. Now, that was a little bit of a surprise, to be honest. Um, I think we got in early, as I recall, uh, got him out on a visit. It kind of persuaded him on fan base here, uh, weather here, you know, stuff like the other good players around him have a chance to play and contribute right away. I believe he got in here when Muehlbach and Othic were still yeah. uh, maybe for just a year that those two guys were starting and then Clid moved in. But um, I, I think style of play, you know, relating to the coaches, liking the other players, he got along well. In fact, one of the guys he got along with pretty well was Brian Williams, Bison Daylight. Yeah. <laughs> kind of an interesting. Right. I was going to say that's an interest. That's an interesting pairing right there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're right. That was the first. In fact, really one of the first East Coast kids, I think, that that came here. From uh, a we, marquee program as well. Yeah, yeah. Program. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Now, just shortly after that, we were spending, or I, I guess I was spending a good deal of time in the Chicago area again, uh, getting a kid like Michael Wright out here. Farragut Academy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely a fabulous guy. But, but Clid was a great catch, and that was maybe the first big nationwide guy that we – we got out here. I was uh, I was having beers with Mielbach uh, about a month or two ago, and he was talking about when Khalid hit campus, and he said that he was talking with Othic about it, and he just said they were having a conversation one time, and he said, man, that kid right there, even though he's a freshman, he can do things that neither one of us could even think about doing, and that, that certainly proved to be true right there. Well, you know what he could do, and you, you watched. He had a strong, strong body, so he was one yeah. of the kids where maybe we'd say, Damon, you're not going to get all the way to the hole, pull up at 12. Clid was strong enough with that body, and he didn't have a great vertical, if you remember. Right. But he was strong, and he could use that body and protect and get get to the hole 
periodically, but he was also a good shooter. And he kind of had, you know, you think back with me, a funny looking little jump shot. It wasn't picture perfect Ray Allen jump shot, but right. it was a good shot. He could put it on the floor, get to the lane and pull up. He was really, really a versatile offensive player. And then defensively, you know, he had to do his job like the other kids. But um, yeah, he was he was a good one. And, right. and had, a, had a, a decent pro career for three or four or five years, I think. All right. Mike Bibby was really kind of when the recruiting thing really, at least for me, really kind of hit front and center because, I mean, you know better than anybody. Mike Bibby was the mega, mega, mega recruit. Everybody knew who he was by the time he was a sophomore in Arizona, Um, you know, obviously came from a basketball lineage. Um, And to this day, I still believe the most hyped guy that came in here. I'll give you an idea. When he was playing at South Point, I was 12 years old and Roz, I've never seen a line like that to get into a high school game. I'll be honest with you. I used my age and I cut to the front to be able to get in, but there was a line all the way down mountain just to see Mike Bibby come and keep in mind, this is pre-internet. This is 1990, 1995, 96. This was, what was it like? How did that recruitment go? And did you always feel that you guys were going to have a pretty good chance just being the success and that he was a point card? Yeah, I, I mean, I, all the things you're talking about, I, I think we always felt we had a good chance. We had to sell his mother. He was really close with his with his mother, and she was interested. But he liked the system. He liked that he was going to be the point guard. He liked that he was going to have a chance to play right away. Uh, he did connect really well with Luke. Now, he uh, again, Jesse was uh, in to see him a lot. We all saw him, but Jesse was in to see him a lot. And then uh, Luke would come in right. towards after seeing Mike all summer and everything and put the finishing touches on. But I think it was style of play. Um, I think that there was going to be some freedom. There were other good players around him. We were going to have a chance to win. Uh, he connected with, with all the guys right away. And, uh, Justin Wessel came in right about then. Uh, really an undersung player here, Mike, by mm-hmm. the way. Absolutely. Had You know, John Ash was here as a walk-on. But those Edgar guys- said Eugene was in that class too. But the guys that the guys that Bibby really connected with, I just mentioned, and yeah. uh, who else may have come in right in that class? They really had a fun group of kids. Like you know, Gilbert was here, and even though Gilbert pulled some kind of right. crazy over the course of his career, Mike liked him. And yeah, I know maybe Mike or Gilbert wasn't here. Maybe he was, but anyway, Gilbert was a few years after. Yeah, Mike. Mike really connected with those kids that he came in with, and and that was a big thing. And style of play. And coach sitting down with his mom and saying, it was interesting in practice, Mike. Um, He would really relate well to Coach Olson. So when the teaching was going on or whatever else, I mean, Mike was zeroed in on coach. They had a really good relationship in terms of the teaching and what was going on and what Luke needed out of of Mike. That was one of those really strong things where, you know, you say you're coaching through the point guard. Well, that's that's what happened during two years here. Now let's talk 96. Let's talk 96, 97. I'll be honest with you. I was like everybody else that lived it. I was just thinking this was a primer for the next year. You had a young team. You had a lot of unproven big men, which we'll get to. Obviously, Bibby hits the scene. Miles is ineligible for the first semester. When you guys went to Springfield to play North Carolina, and keep in mind, Carolina's got Vince Carter, Antoine Jamison, Ed Cota, Mike Bibby and Michael Dickerson go there, and they are the two best players on the court with all those names. Obviously, Mike D starting his first game or, you know, becoming a starter and Mike Bibby in his first game right there. What were your what were you guys thinking going into that game? And 
walking out of that game, what were you thinking? Well, it was better walking out than <laughs> walking in, Mike, I'll tell you that. Uh, well, you know, I mean, we knew Miles was out, and we had uh, Jason Terry, who I guess it was probably Dickerson, Terry, and Bibby were the three perimeters, yep. and that bad, bad lineup, as you know, later right. on. Miles came back, that gave us four good ones. So we went in, and I, I I, don't remember the expectations, but we were well prepared. We knew what they were going to do. We'd run our scout team and everything else, and then uh, the guys stepped up. I, I, I don't know any other way to describe right. it. I, I would say probably leaving the game, uh, we were surprised. But, again, we, we liked our team, and they got in. And, and you know how it is. Kids like big games, and for this – for us, this was a big game playing North Carolina in Springfield and national coverage and everything. You know, kids like those. So uh, I, I can't give you the box score, but I'm sure those perimeter guys stepped up. A.J. Bramlett on the scene, mm-hmm. just blossomed all year. I, I think Bennett was here then. Yeah. Now, those are pretty good players. Gene Edgerson coming off the bench. So John L. playing a little bit, too. John L. playing a little bit. Justin Russell playing mm-hmm. a little bit, filling in the role. So, um I think we went in not feeling we were going to lose. I don't know that we went in overly confident, and and we knew we were without Miles. But that had been, you know, we solved that in practice by running these other guys together. All the- let's talk yeah. a little bit. Of, let's talk a little bit about Miles here. When I, whenever I'm asked, or whenever I'm asked, whenever I think about it, whenever I think of just competitor. I think of of Arizona basketball players, and there's been a billion that have come through. They were all-time competitors. So Miles is always the first one that just kind of jumps to my – just jumps to my foresight right there. And Miles came in during a time, too, where 94-95, you got Damon obviously running the uh, the team. But you guys also gave Miles a lot of freedom. 95-96, you have that senior-laden team where you got Reggie, you got Ben Davis, you got Corey Williams, you got Joe Blair to start. But Miles was always in there. What attracted or what appealed to uh, to you guys about Miles so quickly? Well, you, you kind of said it. He's a gamer. And I don't know if Miles would ever be described as the best practice player that was ever here. But he, he did his job in practice. <clears throat> he got his chances. He was a gamer. Uh, he understood the game the kids that came out of. And we had Dylan Rigdon, as you recall. Mm-hmm. Also, Modern day. day. Those kids were tough kids. Uh, you know, they could step up and make big free throws. And Miles just kind of did his job. He wasn't a great, great defender, but he was a small position defender. He could get you some boards good athlete. Um, he could handle the ball. He could get to the lane. So he, he got a chance. And I, I think Mike actually, uh, he may have started a few games, if I'm not mistaken. And then the big news was, here's one of the few people in the Olsen regime that started some games as a freshman. And maybe well, that's what stuck out immediately, especially yeah. on that team. Because remember, you guys are going in because this is after the final four year. You guys are going in with a ton of expectations because Damon's back and you got Miles in there. And it was just kind of unusual at that point just to see him given, you know, and it obviously it was a smart move. Yeah, well, you said it yourself. He, he was a gamer. And I don't know what we'll talk about about the championship run those six games, but you know the facts. He, for about 90% of the time, loaded the team on his back and was the most valuable player of the whole tournament. Come on, that doesn't happen by accident. The guy was a gamer. Um, the, the, the night we were playing for the title – uh, this was after the pregame meal, about five o'clock, Mike, and, and I, we, we had some time. So I said, okay, all you perimeter guys come into my room and we'll watch just a little more film that 
Miles didn't want any part of that. He was ready to go. He was ready to play. Now he did come in, Mike, right. <laughs> like pulling teeth because the kid was a gamer and he got himself elevated. And, you know, you, you've seen it in sports, kind of got into his zone. And that kind of happened for at least five of the six games in that tournament run. He, smart kid, knew the game, smart kid, great feel for the game. Yeah, I mean, just a next-level feel. So let's talk about Kansas, because obviously you get through South Alabama, which I'm thinking to myself, you know, at the beginning, I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go again. And obviously, but then after that, you get to obviously beat College of Charleston, then then you get to Kansas. And for people who don't remember, Kansas was the best team in the country that year, at least, you know, through the regular season. They, Jacques Vaughn, Paul Pierce, Rafe LaFrance, I think you could I think you could favorably argue that that's still Roy Williams' best team to this day. When you're going into that game, what are you what are you guys thinking? Because again, uh, the nobody gives us a chance thing is a lot of times overplayed, but nobody was giving Arizona a chance in that game. They were loaded. I think all five of their starters were drafted, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Um, well, you know, Mike, here here's the whole deal, and this this is something I learned early by being in this system and being with loot. Your preparation is an even preparation. You don't get too high. You don't get too low. You lose a game. You're not going off, jumping off a bridge. You win a game. You're not going nuts. Even preparation. So, you know, we got into Birmingham and, and um, ready to play Kansas and we'd done our scouting. Um, everybody knew what was going on. We had a good team. I, I don't recall it all going in fearful or thinking we couldn't win. Right. Uh, you know, I guess when we did it, it was you asked what was my response after that. Well, it was it was pretty cool. But, you know, and, and that was the whole thing during this time period up until uh, Luke left and, and so on and so forth, that there was good preparation for everybody. I mean, we knew how we were going to play the post. We knew how, what we were going to do on the perimeter. We knew we were going to play our game offensively. We knew we, knew we had four good perimeter people and we were going to sub them in and see who was playing well. And we knew we could get Gene Edgerson in to rough it up. So, um, I, again, I look back and I think I'm being honest. I'm not saying I was so surprised that I fainted. I think we always felt like we right. were Every year we were here, Mike, I think we felt, you know, we, we were a good team and had a chance to make a run. But I don't remember feeling overly surprised, but it was a, a huge, huge win. That's okay. Huge right. win. And you, you saw Jason Terry. I think he was jumping up on the scores tail. Yeah, oh, yeah. Pumping. Yeah, right. But, you know, you know, that's an interesting thing, Mike, that you said. I, I don't remember, even after winning the national title, that I was just ready to faint because I was so surprised. I mean, we we prepared. It was a good system. It was, it was well grew, uh, coached group of kids every year, and right. so a lot of the wins were really fun. Some of those wins at Stanford, Mike, you remember they were phenomenal in the locker room afterwards. But you you weren't surprised because we did our we did our jobs. All right, so you get to Kentucky then because you go through North Carolina again. You end up beating North Carolina. I think it was like 66 to 58, something like that. Um, and then you get to Kentucky. Kentucky has Rick Pitino, obviously, fresh off a national title. You got Ron Mercer right there, one of the handful most talented players in the country. First of all, the thing that's amazing to me is, and every, a lot of people know, Michael Dickerson was struggling offensively at that time. But he did an amazing job there for the majority of the game there on Ron Mercer. What was your game plan going into Kentucky? Well, we, 
you know, it happened to be my scout, Mike, and they had a couple of series that they ran where they, it, it was it was a pretty difficult thing in how to defend Mercer. It was a series of screens or how he was cutting. But we got to practice on Sunday and we went over and went over and went over and drilled on that uh, in practice. Now you don't have a lot of time, but enough so that the people that could be, excuse me, guarding him knew what they were supposed to do. So, yeah, Dickerson was, what, 6'5", mm-hmm. strong. Quick, uh, he did a great job defensively, and then when he was out, I don't know who we put over there. Maybe, maybe Miles. I don't know, but we we had a, a game plan as to how we wanted to handle the things that they were doing to get him free. And I don't have the box score in front of me, but I think we held him pretty well in check. And um, you know, it, it was an overtime game and so on. But we had prepared for the things they were going to do to get Mercer free. That was one of the real keys. All right, what did you uh, well, I'm going to talk about Jason Terry here in just a second, but also want to tell you about Four Peaks. All right, Four Peaks, the official brew of PHNX Sports. Here's what you want to do. Go check out Four Peaks. You might see the great Jacob Franklin down there, our esteemed producer. And many times you can get uh, uh, a, a delicious Redbird lager. The draft was just there this past week. You must be 21 years or up to, uh, and enjoy responsibly. But again, uh, great, great specials all the way around. Again, you can use a lot of PHNX specials, $3 Kilt Lifter, and Wow Pints right there. Check it out. Four Peaks, the official brew of PHNX Sports. All right, Coach Jason Terry. Mike, Miles Simon comes back. Um, and JT doesn't get to start until he's a senior, and then he's the National Player of the Year. What was, did, was there ever any any talk with him like behind the scenes, like, hey, man, like I want to, uh, I want to play more? Or was it always what the public heard that – he was totally cool waiting in his role and waiting until it was his time to start. Well, <laughs> I, I can't answer for him, at least <clears throat> publicly and with the team. Uh, I think he was in and talked with, with Coach O about it, uh, <clears throat> what was going to happen. And the story is, well, he was the gracious one and said, I'll move. I, I don't know how totally happy, happy he was. I guess you'd have to get him on your show and pin right. him down. Make him tell exactly. I'm not sure he was overly happy, but uh, he did say that he would be the guy that would come off the bench, and he knew Miles. And Miles, uh, Miles had an ego. And Miles was an alpha. Yeah, exactly. And how would it have been with him not starting? It would have been, would have been tough, and I think probably disruptive, and so on. So it was a good move. But Jason, you know, stood up like a, a young man, and he is. He's a bright kid. And the biggest thing is, again, it's the proof. The, the proof was he waited his turn. And sometimes that happened here at Arizona. You, you know, Other than maybe Miles and a couple guys, you didn't come in as a freshman. I mean, Richard Jefferson, uh, another right. prime, Walton, you know, look at when they got in the rotation. So kids were patient. They weren't transferring all over like the stuff that's going on now. And, and Jason waited his turn. And it paid off. And how many years was he a, a pro? And, you know, 18 years more famous guys to ever come out of here and still still well thought of. So, you know, bless his heart on that. But I I don't recall it as being anything that was, was just awful. And in practice, for gosh sakes, I mean, we had our top seven guys together all the time playing the other guys. So it, 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 it was okay. I believe that, and I've, I've maintained this from day one, I believe that that 96-97, uh, 97-98 is the greatest collection of perimeter talent in college basketball history, and here's why. You've got Mile, Mike Bibby and Miles Simon, 
both become first team consensus, first team AP all Americans. Um, Mike's sophomore miles, uh, senior year. Mike D is a third team, all American. The following year, Jason Terry after 98 is the national player of the year. I would love to see if anybody else has that kind of squad right there where you've got, cause I don't think there is. And just watching it at the time, you know, I, I, I just wonder how many people realize just the unprecedented greatness that we were seeing, because these are, as you know better than anybody, these are all timers here, Coach. Yeah, Mike, that's really a pretty good point. I've, I've never really heard it discussed like that. Um, you know, in fact, right up on my wall, which would be to your left as you look at me, I've got the, the Simon and Bibby um, right. the paper that they got. Yeah. And got them framed and I got them. I got them here. Uh, and I think that's really a good point. Again, I'd never really thought about that, but you're talking pro careers. I mean, Michael Dickerson without the injury would have been a 10, 12 year guy. Yeah. Uh, Miles had a year or two in the, in the pros played overseas, but yeah, you're, the collection was really, really absolutely special. And, uh, you know, we won the title the one year and then the next year we went over 30 wins and had the, horrible, horrible game against Utah for whatever the reasons were on that. Um, now, those were two really, really good years. And and undersung, and I've told you this before on the show, I believe, A.J. Bramlett was unbelievable. For sure in the year we won the title. And then the other guy that was so flexible and so good for us was Bennett Davison. No and we could anybody from a one to a five and run like a deer and jump like crazy. He was really, really a, a, a good player. So, but you're on the perimeter. That's a, that's really a pretty good observation. If you start looking at all the awards and points and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah no I mean, I, w- I would put coach, you need to put that in there right there, obviously. Uh, because again, it's a, uh, it's an impressive feat. Also, you mentioned AJ Bramlett. I have never seen in my time watching Arizona basketball, I have never seen somebody improve more from the start of a season until the end of the season. Now, again, he was up and down, but I remember a lot of people saying at the time, just a lot of the public, man, if we just had a couple, you know, if we just had a center. Um, by the time the NCAA tournament hit, A.J. Bramlett had become a bad boy out there and just a guy that was dominating games, Coach. Yeah, great. <clears throat> the year we won the title, he led the whole tournament in rebounding. Yeah. Uh, he was a, a capable scorer. He didn't need to score a ton. Uh, he could run like a deer, like we always wanted our big guys from Channing Fry to AJ to everybody run the floor. Uh, he could do that. He was an adequate shooter. He could face up a little bit. Really a good, smart defender. I've gone back and watched some films over the years, and you watch AJ defensively, you know, using his arm bar, moving his feet here, there, high side, low side, all this stuff. He was really, really a smart player, and he was – a little bit thin, but that that allowed him to remain good and quick uh, with his feet. Now he was he really, really, really improved and had a good career. And then again, the proof he was overseas for I don't know six or eight years after college and played overseas and did very well there. All right, let's talk O one. Um, o one to me, and this is just my amateur opinion. I believe O one is the best team in school history. Um, the and the best way I can put it is. You had going into the season five players that were on the top 50 Wooden Award watch list. Your entire starting lineup was. And let's be honest here, if it was down to the 25 players, those five should have been on there as well. But it was perfectly, perfectly constructed, Coach. You have your Bulldog point guard and Jason Gardner going to get everybody in line. You have Gilbert Arenas, probably the most talented guy, scorer, a little bit of everywhere, kind of a wild soul. 
Richard Jefferson can defend, but can also finish around the hoop. Michael Wright came in at 15 and eight, left at 15 and eight, probably the most physically ready to play big man I had seen at U of A at that point. And then you had Lauren Woods, the shot blocker supreme. Then you had Luke coming off the bench. Coach, that to me is still the best team in school history. I know between refs and other stuff, didn't get a title, but I still look at that team with just a, a amazed at how well constructed and how good it was. Yeah, that would, I would certainly agree. Now, I debate that with my friend. Well, I don't debate it because we both agree with Josh Passner, who you know well. <clears throat> There's no question that was a, a great, great team. Talent-wise, starting five, six or seven, the best talent here now. You know, 88 may want to disagree with that, but I – Mulebach has told me – Mulebach has told me multiple times that 01 was better. So we're, we're going to go nope. with it. Yeah, absolutely no question. 2001 was the most talented, and it gets down to the fact, and we heard this a ton of times. Now, we played Duke. We smashed Michigan State in the semifinals. Right. Unfortunately, Gilbert got hit in the chest and was bruised, and it affected his shooting in the finals. Be that as it may, um, I, I could almost guarantee this, and it's not sour grapes. You hear this all the time. With a different refereeing crew, I believe we beat him. I, I walked 10 steps from the bench, Josh by my side, and said to Josh, as we're going to the locker room, we just got screwed. And that wasn't the exact word I used. Right. You know, the, the were we're not good. And you saw the one word, Jay Williams is falling over Jason Gardner right in your head. Come on. I mean, it's a foul. That was irritating. And um, But be that as it may, on the positive side, that far and away, from the construction of the big guys to the guards and everybody, far and away the most talented team here. All right, let's talk about uh, Gilbert Arenas then, because I w- I remember watching Gilbert Arenas when you guys were at the uh, uh, preseason NIT. Comes in, he's a 17-year-old. His other offers are like Kansas State and Northridge and whatnot. And I remember thinking to myself, that might be as smoothly a talented player as I've ever watched here. Maybe not the best at that point, but just somebody could get wherever he wanted on the court. Um, long, athletic. He To that point, I always felt that Khalid was the most naturally gifted scorer that I had seen. But man, when Gilbert hit there, I, I'll put it to you like this. I was not shocked that Gilbert went on to average 28 points a game in the NBA, even though I think a lot of people probably were. Uh, Gilbert was, uh, you're exactly right. Again, you've done your research. He was as talented as any kid here. And the other thing is he was a smart basketball player. Now, if you want to say Miles had a great feel for the game, Gilbert was not far behind or better. Gilbert had a great feel for the game. He was a smart basketball guy. He saw the floor. He knew he was, he was really, really just more than the scoring, um, understood the game, saw the game, everything going on, Mike. I, I, I've i said that publicly a number of times, and everybody, well, you, what about crazy Gilbert? Well, Gilbert did some some crazy things in the course of his time here, but he was a really, really talented player. I would guarantee in, in the year that we finished um, second with those guys, I'll bet you 9, 10, 11, 12 of the games, the first play was come up to a 1-4. Yeah. At the left wing was Gilbert Arenas make the pass basket went right to the hole. They, you know, they knew it was coming. Couldn't defend him. He was terrific talent and very, very smart basketball player. Very and, and on top of that, he made a living against that against Illinois. Cause again, in that elite eight game, I, you know, that was a, that was a close game. You guys were always about six to eight points ahead, but I remember him coming off those in those one, four sets 
and just burying one after the other. And that was a talented Illinois team. You had Frank Williams, you had Sergio McClain, you had Brian Cook. That was that was a tough game, and but I always think of that when I think of that uh, uh, remark right there about Gilbert. Yeah, Talent, talented kid, and he could put it on the floor. You know, he could cover ground and, and really a picture-perfect shot. Now, maybe not Ray Allen again, but a picture-perfect jump shot. He was, yeah, he was really good. All right, Coach. Um, before we uh, sign off here, oh, Illegal Pete's. Got to get one more read in here. All right, Illegal Pete's. Now, you might say to yourself, Mike, where can I hang out and be cooler than Mike Luke? Well, he, basically anywhere. But Illegal Pete's is that spot as well. Check out University. They got all kinds of great deals going on. Uh, Illegal Pete's delicious ingredients and customizable options are the perfect way to treat your guests to a culinary adventure they'll never forget. To book your catering order, head to uh, catering.illegalpeats.com. Illegal Pete's, your go-to for burritos, buddies, and beer. All right, Coach. I am like I said, I could nerd out and do, do this for like five hours a day. But again, it's always a privilege because um, – I grew up, like I said, from the Chris Mills team on uh, the New Orleans game uh, when you were playing Irvin, not Magic Johnson. Um, I've been able to watch every game, and you guys were the ones that really gave me that passion, and it got to the point where it became an obsession. I almost died in in the Santa Clara game because I actually choked on a chicken bone. Um, And no, my dad had to actually tip me upside down and whatnot, but – you, you guys were responsible for bringing Arizona basketball to this community in the way that it is. Yes, give Fred Snowden a ton of credit for sure. But Arizona became a national brand and became this community under you guys. And I speak for a lot of people when I say we appreciate that. Well, I, I appreciate your saying that, Mike. And, and um, you know, again, when we're sitting here around talking with my wife, Kim, we, we do talk about that. It was kind of the the golden era and being a rock and roll music fan, I kind of compare it when we traveled, uh, you know, when we were in at the garden or so on, it was kind of like the Rolling Stones pulling in. I mean, the media, Nick Vitale was there every, it was just really, really a a magical time. The Arizona Wildcats are coming in. It's a big year for everybody. Kind of, kind of like Duke on the, excuse me, like Duke on the other coast. When Duke showed up, Duke on their Jersey, biggest game of the year for whoever they were playing. Arizona showed up, biggest game of the year for whoever we were playing. And then we had the other attraction that you talked about, uh, and I think Damon was in the garden, but they wanted to come and see him. I, I went down the elevator in the garden one time, Spike Lee's on there. Right. I said, Dottemeyer play, well, he, he was, wherever we were playing, he was for them, and he wouldn't say much. <laughs> but everybody wanted to see the Cats play, and I, right. and I nationally, statewide. I mean, this is kind of like – so we've got on our Pima team this year, we had six native girls from up, up north. And every single one of the parents that came in always wanted to talk about Arizona basketball. They followed it. They knew the kids' names. Now, you wouldn't necessarily think that that was their key priority, but they followed it. They knew the names. They knew the teams, everything. It was really, really a magical time, Mike, and, and put Arizona on the national map without question. All right. He is the great Jim Rosborough. And again, great. You're not going to be able to take that away. The great Jim Rosborough. We uh, really appreciate it, Coach. And we'll catch it, uh, catch up again soon. Really appreciate going down memory lane with you, my guy. Thank you, Mike. Enjoyed it a great deal. Thanks. All right. That's Jim Rosborough and Mike Luke. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.